Well, this morning's message is a pretty straightforward one. It's a pretty simple truth that I want you to gather. Um, two, I think it was two weeks ago I did a message talking about our, our need to change. And that was kind of all I wanted you to grasp, was just walking away from, from the Sunday morning message with this acknowledgement that, yes, there's things in my life that I need to open up to God, that I need to submit before Him and say, I'm willing to allow you to change this part of my life actions that I do, ways that I view the world, ways that I think about things, uh, things that I'm, whatever it is. Well, this morning is, is a similar message. There's a really simple, straightforward truth about the sovereignty of God that I want you to walk out here with this morning. So we're going to kind of uh, unpack that a little bit. This is really going to set the foundation for the next five weeks of where we're going. It's just this really kind of beginning that conversation. Uh, we're in the middle of a new series called Authority Issues, and um, we need to look at first the authority of God in our lives. And before we have a grasp on that, a handle on that, any other conversation we have around authority, um, while it may give us some good things we could do or some different ideas in our life to move forward, at the end of the day, uh, unless we're putting God as that first ultimate authority, uh, it's all for naught. And so that's what we're talking about here this morning. Well, when I was a kid, I enjoyed building things. I enjoyed seeing things built and seeing how they, they go together. Um, I got really good at taking things apart, um, not always as good as putting them back together. Uh, but I would just take something apart and just see how it worked. And that was something that I really enjoyed. Uh, one of the ways that my parents kind of encouraged us, uh, every Christmas there were a few things I, I knew my mom was looking for for me. One of those was a puzzle. I would get some kind of puzzle and just kind of, uh, usually within 24 to 72 hours after unwrapping it, it was fully assembled on the dining room table. All depends on the size of it and, and um, what else you know, I'd gotten. Because one of the other things that I would often get uh, was a Lego project of some sort uh, just about every Christmas from, from my parents. Um, and, and that was one of those things where as soon as I opened the box, it was pretty much assembled. I, mean, I, I was dedicated. Uh, no matter how difficult, how involved, I was getting that thing put together. So you can imagine, uh, you know, as each Christmas goes by, um, I, I began to amass uh, quite a collection of Legos. And I had these bins that the Legos would sit in. And so whenever, uh, you know, just an average day, if I wanted to go play with my Legos, what I would do, uh, very commonly, is I would dump them all out in the living room floor. And I had this big, massive pile, and I would spread out piles all over the place, and then I would make some kind of craft, either a, a vehicle or a spaceship or something. And most commonly, uh, what was happening is I was on, imagining myself on the surface of some unknown planet, and I would make these piles of Legos, and those are like the craters. They create crater, you know, all that kind of stuff. And uh, I'd have these vehicles I would make, and there's always two things that were always true of these vehicles. Uh, the first one is that their mission was to explore this unknown world. And so they go up over the hills and the valleys and, you know, they'd, they'd make new roads and new paths and depend on what I had or maybe it was a ship flying around. Their mission was always to explore the unknown world. The other thing that they all had in common is they all had a self-destruct button. No idea why, no idea where the idea came from, but every single thing I built, even like things I would build from the instructions, the last thing I put down was a little switch. Okay, there's a self-destruct button uh, in case you're ever, you know, in a, in a truck that you need to blow it up. You know, you got one of those. So in this world that I had created, um, I pretty much decided the fate of my own personal Lego man, Magellan. You know, I, I, I had my Magellan who was exploring this new world. I, I had my Neil Armstrong was walking on the surface. I decided his fate. If he survived the mission, it's because I let him survive. If his vehicle blew up, it's because I led to it and allowed it to blow up, all because of that self 
self-destruct switch. I, I was the ultimate authority without interference. That is until mom said I had to go do homework. Uh, but I was the ultimate authority in that world that I had created. And so within the, that boundary, within that scenario, you could say that I was sovereign over my Lego world. Nothing happened that I didn't allow. I know that that's a, a, a poor example in the sense of, you know, you don't actually have little Lego guys walking around. Those who have seen the movie, it was fiction, not nonfiction. Uh, um, so it, they don't have, you know, life and free will like we have here. But it begins to unpack this concept of sovereignty. Think of it this way. The United States of America is a sovereign nation, one could argue. We have ultimate authority within our own borders. They say, well, oh, yeah, but we've made agreements with different countries and with, with uh, the UN, all these different things that we won't do this, we won't do that. So we don't really have supreme authority within our own borders. Well, actually we do because even those treaties and those agreements, uh, we, we honor them, we uphold them. We could say, not that we would or not that I'm uh, advocating this, but we could say, hey, we're going to throw those out and we're going to do whatever we want as a sovereign nation. Now, obviously, if we did certain things that would go against other nations, they, they being sovereign nations, may retaliate and they may lead to wars and, and conflict. But within our boundaries, we are a sovereign nation. Well, if we keep on going with this, this concept of, of sovereignty, uh, kind of the working definition I want us to look at here this morning is sovereignty is the supreme authority without interference. Supreme authority without interference, without support, you could say in there. Our God, the God of the Bible, the God of creation, is a sovereign God. He's a sovereign God. God is sovereign. Psalm 115.3 is one of the first verses that we're going to look at real quick. Um, for the most part of our morning, we're going to be in James chapter 4. Uh, if you want to flip to each one of these verses, you can. You're welcome to. They'll be on the screen as well. Uh, but if you just want to go, like, where, where's the main spot we're going to spend our time here this morning, Steve? It's going to be James chapter 4. And so if you want to open up your Bibles and get there ahead of time, go for it. It's towards the back of the Bible. If you find Hebrews, you're just about there. Um, so it, it's, we're going to be in James 4, but starting here in Psalm 115, verse 3. Simple little statement here. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. But a simplified way to say he's sovereign. He does all that he pleases. What emotions begin to well up in your heart? What thoughts begin to go through your mind? Uh, down in just the, the, the recesses of your soul, what... What does this bring to mind when you hear this? That God does all that he pleases. See, even before the heavens existed, so God is in the heavens, even before they even existed, before it was a place to be, God was. He created with no assistance, no support. He didn't bring in any uh, con consultants to say, hey, where do you think I should put the stars or the moon or, or the sun? He simply spoke, let there be blank. And then what happened? Then it was. He simply spoke. That is an all-powerful and sovereign God. We see this uh, line of, of questioning. We did a series not too long ago through the book of Job. And at one point, uh, Job is, is, is questioning God. And finally, God's like, all right, Job, you know, um, put, put on, you know, pull up your pants and, and, and get ready because, you know, we got some questions coming. He kind of basically said, hey, do you know how this earth is made? Do you know its corners? Do you know its boundaries? Do you know this universe, how it's set up? Do you know these, these beasts of an animal that, you know, can you control them? It basically, God would say, hey, well, I can. 
In response to all this, Job says this in Job 26.14a, Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways. Uh, other translations would take outskirts and translate it as fringes. These are but the fringes of God's power. This is child's play. He merely speaks and things happen. He's an all-powerful and sovereign God. And throughout the, the Bible, we see stories of people who worship false gods. Gods that they've, they've identified powers to. It's okay, here's the God of the harvest. Here's the goddess of, of fertility. And they, they make these carbon images on wood or, or these statues out of gold, and, and they worship those images. Most of the time, what, what is God's response when we see those moments throughout Scripture? If you're familiar with any of them, he basically says, did I not make the wood that that's carved on? Did I not make the gold? So here's this image that, that these people are worshiping as a god, and yet I'm the God who made what the image is even made of and printed on. So God is a sovereign, all-powerful God. All things are from God and made through God. I want to show you two verses that support this here. 1 Corinthians 8, 6 and Romans eleven thirty six. 36. Some, some capitals in there. Those are my emphasis that I put on there. Uh, but let's just see this. So yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things are and for uh, whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. And so all things are from God and through God. All things. Romans 11.36 For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I want to do a quick exercise to explain. uh, Just to begin to grasp the, the, the weight of the sovereignty of God. Real quick, take a, a deep breath in. Now let it out. What did you just do? Common answer would be, I, you took a breath, right? None of us took anything. We, we were allowed to breathe. We were given life. Now you may say, Steve, oh, but Steve, that's not how these bodies work, you know. It's not like we rely on God for every single breath. If that's where you're at, you haven't fully grasped the sovereignty of God. Think about that for a minute. Nothing happens that is not uh, allowed by God. He is sovereign over all. So again, what, what emotions begin to well up in your heart, in your mind, in your soul as we talk about this? Maybe for some of you, i got to imagine it's going to be a gambit across the board. There's probably some of us here who have some joy and comfort as we realize that the God we serve, the God that we love, that loves us and has sought us out, is an all-powerful, loving God. Uh, and through Jesus, we're his children. We're called sons and daughters of God. He, he, I got no problem with God being a sovereign God. That's amazing. That's awesome. And, and when I'm in trouble, when I'm in distress, you know, I, I don't want some uh, idol or something made out of wood or gold. I, you know, I want the God of the universe who, to have my back, to be for me, to be working in and through my life. And so maybe for some of you, this concept of the sovereignty of God brings about joy and elation and comfort and peace. You can be at that place and also be at this place as well. You can have both of these responses, emotions at the same time. Maybe for you, anger or confusion comes up. Because you may say, Steve, that's all good. I, I, I get that piece of it. But you're saying if God is all-powerful, if God is sovereign, and, and nothing is allowed that he hasn't allowed, well, then if God allows all things, why did he allow fill in the blank? Why did he allow what I hear many times as I'm counseling people? Why did he allow so-and-so to die so young? 
They were taken from me too soon. Maybe you've gone through some significant abuse in your life. Why, why did God not rescue me from those moments? Why did He allow that to happen? And I apologize, I, I don't have answers for you here this morning. But it doesn't change the fact that our God is a sovereign God. So for some, it's joy. For some, maybe anger or confusion. For some of us here this morning, maybe we have a, a response of fear. Hey, Steve, I've, I've done some stuff. And if you're telling me that God is sovereign and that, that, that nothing's happening, He hasn't allowed, you're basically saying, He knows what I've done. Okay? And, and man, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid. I don't know what to do about that. I mean, is God have, is, he, is He out to get me? You know, am I on this list that God has? You know, He's taking people out one at a time, you know? Might be the next person to get struck by lightning or hit by a car. I mean, is God, is God gunning for me? That's not how God works. Don't worry about that. But um, maybe that's your response. It's just this heart of, of fear. Maybe when we really begin to understand the sovereignty of God, it moves us to a place of, of for a moment, feeling insignificant. All right, so what, what does my life matter then? James 4, 13 through 15 say this. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? Listen here. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. We're we're but a mist, but a vapor. So maybe as we understand who God is, we begin to feel insignificant. If that's you, don't worry, we're going to move to a place where God places, uh, where we understand that God has given us value and worth and significance. But I think we need to begin, anytime we're engaging with God and we're in conversation with God, we need to be true about where we are in our own heart because He already knows what we're feeling. He already knows what we're thinking. So it doesn't make any sense to come to God and say, God, yeah, we're all good. High five, good. Go Bears, let's go start my day. When you're really hurt and frustrated, because he allowed certain things to happen in your life. You don't understand why he would. Or you're afraid of, of, of what might happen in your life. We, we need to engage God with all that we are. So this may leave you with more questions about God's sovereignty than answers, but if that's you, we're not going to unpack this uh, too much more, but if you're sitting in this place really struggling, I encourage you to talk to someone. Maybe after service, uh, well, you know, under the tent, eating some donuts, or invite them over to your place for lunch, and you can have a conversation. And if you, you invite someone over, and you're in a conversation about the sovereignty of God, and, and trying to wrap your head around why certain things would be allowed, um, and you come to this point, like, well, hey, neither one of us really has a clue how to deal with this, bring someone else in the mix. Let's be a church that does life together and engages these questions that we have and is in conversation with one another about what what are our concerns, what are our thoughts, what are our questions regarding God, what have we seen God do in our lives, through us, in in, in the lives of those around us, and share those stories. Because God is the supreme authority without interference, without dependency. He needs no help. He has no consultants that he needs to go to. God is sovereign. So this new series, Authority Issues, is built on this truth that God is sovereign. He is the starting point when it comes to dealing with any other authority in life. In the weeks ahead, we're going to talk about 
authority issues in the home. So as we look at you know, husband, wife, mother, father, uh, kids, sister, brothers, the family relationships in the home, uh, what are some of the authority issues that we face? We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about authority issues we face in the church with, with, with leadership and how churches are run and those kind of things. We're going to talk about authority issues that we face out in our community, that we face uh, with, with our government. And how do we engage with those? Then we're going to look at authority issues in the workplace, and for those who aren't working yet, you know, in, in the schools as well, where you find yourself uh, for a good chunk of your day. But before we can get to any of that, we have to understand that God is sovereign. Because, see, we have authority issues. When I was in high school, um, I, I was uh, in the band, I played trombone, and um, we had uh, auditions for the drum major. That's the person that stands up and waves their arms if you don't know music. Uh, if you do know music, that's the person who actually leads and conducts. Um, but waving the arms is easier to explain. And so uh, we had auditions for that. And uh, basically anyone who wanted to audition could get up and audition. And then uh, people in the band would vote and say, here's who we want to lead us. Here's who we want to be in this position of authority. And I didn't have much desire to do that. I didn't want to be the drum major. We have three of them in this band. It was a big high school band. And uh, so the auditions go, and I'm trying to think, who would I vote for? And I'm like, well, I've got to vote for three. This one's okay, but the other ones I didn't want to vote for. I, I didn't want them in a position of authority over me. So you know what I did? Raised my hand and said, hey, can I try out? And oh, yeah, come on up. And so I tried out and, 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 and was able to you know, like earn that spot and was a drum major for, for the rest of my time in the high school band, uh, simply because I, I didn't want to submit to someone else's authority. Now, yes, there's other authorities I was under. I acknowledge that. But as far as with my peers, that was my motivation. I'm not saying that was right or wrong. I'm saying that we have authority issues. The reason we need to talk about this kind of stuff is we are rebellious, right? We are a rebellious people. We like to think that we're sovereign. We say that you know, we don't need God. We don't need rules. We don't need authority figures. Uh, no one tells me what to do. Uh, you know, fight the man. And you say, who's the man? It's an authority figure in your life, the boss, the, the government, the cop who pulled you over. You don't think we're rebellious? You ever gotten a speeding ticket for going less than 10 over? You don't have to put your hand up. You can if you want. But you, you ever got a ticket going less than five under? I, I've heard some of those stories. And, and what, what happens when someone gets one of those tickets? Who does he think he is? He doesn't have the right to give me a silly ticket. I was barely going over the speed limit. But if we look at the letter of the law, you were speeding. I'm not saying it was the right call or the wrong call. But we get so bent out of shape because we try to put ourselves in, in, in the, the throne of our life in every area because we are rebellious people. That This was me and, and still is me to a, a point in my life and it's something that, that I'm submitting before God and asking Him to work on me. Um, but if there's something, I, I could be on my way to go do something. And if someone, whether they, whether they have the authority in my life or are trying to grasp that authority in my life, if they tell me to go and do what I'm setting out to do, I'm like, eh, I don't want to do it. Because now an authority said I have to go do it. Well, I don't want to do it anymore. Do you, do you ever experience that? Where all of a sudden, if you're, if you're being told by an authority, well, I don't want to do it. Well, why is that? Because we have a rebellious heart. We push against authority in, in various ways in our lives. We live in a culture that stresses individual freedoms, intrinsic rights, and the autonomous self. I am my own man. I am my own woman. And these are positive, great things when we subject them under a sovereign God. When we acknowledge our place under God, these can be great, good things. But when our focus is on ourselves, 
we become a ship on, on the seas without an anchor. We have nothing holding us fast. This leads to the pursuit and elevation of self. Some of the ways we've seen our culture do this is we pursue self by pursuing success in, in money or in fame, notoriety, or, or in power. But see, rarely have you ever heard someone say, hey, you know what? I made my million dollars. I'm all good. I'm satisfied. I'm stopping there. You don't, you don't hear that. Or you don't hear someone, hey, you know what? My YouTube channel has, has 100,000 likes finally. I'm good. I'm, I'm popular enough. I've arrived. Um, I, I can go back and, to, to you know, doing whatever else I was doing before all this. Or you don't hear someone say, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm running a couple different companies. I, I got thousands of employees under my leadership. I'm good. I, I don't want any more power. If they were to offer me a promotion, I'd say, no, I don't, I don't want the power. We, we don't hear that because when we're pursuing things that, that, that are of the self, we're never satisfied. We're never fulfilled because we're trying to, to uh, first of all, we're sitting on the throne that belongs to someone else, and we're trying to fill our lives with things that are unable to satisfy. All because we have a rebellious heart. Apart from a sovereign God, that's how we're left. James chapter 4 paints this picture a little bit uh, as well. James 4, 1. What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire, you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You do not ask because, and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. What causes these issues amongst us? It's our rebellion. It's our focus on our own passions, our own desires our own worldly passions. See, our, our rebellion not only affects our relationship with God, but also affects our relationship with others. We can see that in James 4. It causes fights and quarrels. You may say, well, I never murdered anybody. Well, the next verse is talking about just fights and quarrels. We can see this playing out in our homes, in our churches, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our community, in our governments. Do you feel like you see fights and quarrels in, in, in conflict? It's because we have authority issues. These are harsh words in James 4. If you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. We are an adulterous people, God says. Remember in 1 Corinthians 8, 6, that we looked at earlier this morning, it said we are created by and for God. We are his. And so when we rebel, we're not living as his sons and daughters. And so that means that we're, we're adulterous. You know, we're, meant to, we're made to be with him, and yet when we rebel, we're being adulterous. And even when we try not to rebel, uh, Isaiah 64, 6, if that's to be believed, our best works are still filthy rags, garbage before the Lord. So this leads, to, leads us to this question. So then do we face the wrath of a sovereign God? If God is sovereign and we are rebellious, do we face his wrath? We don't have to, fortunately. James 4, 5 through 6. Or do you suppose it is, not, uh, it, it is to no purpose the scriptures say he earns, he yearns, James 4, 5 through 6a. Appreciate the grace. So do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? So when we trust in God and give our lives to him, he gives us grace. Because see, God is Gracious. So God is sovereign, we're rebellious, and God is gracious. The focus begins on God. 
And then we see how we've messed it up. But then again, the focus comes back to God. He's a gracious God. He yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us. You may say, was that, is that right, Steve? Can, can God be jealous? Every time I, you know, if I've ever experienced jealousy, it's probably not right. It's not, it's probably something I need to repent of. How can God be jealous? Here's the difference. Our jealousy is when we want something that's not ours. We want something that's not ours and we get jealous about it. When God is jealous, he wants something that is his, but it's rebelled against him. So we are God's. He's made us. He's created us. We have no decision in when we were born, where we were born, who our parents were, the circumstances around our birth. I was born in Fargo, North Dakota. I don't know if you would see that as a plus or a minus, but I had no decision in it. Wherever you were born, you had no decision in that. The abilities you have, the talents you have, your looks, your, your, your words, your, your all. yes, we can grow in these things, but even that is allowed by God. We are His. And so when we rebel, yes, He's a jealous God who wants what is His. And so what is God's response to our rebellion? It's grace. We trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of our rebellion, our past, present, and future rebellion. He shows us grace when we trust in Jesus. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when we trust in Jesus, we say, Jesus, I believe you are God. I believe your death on the cross paid the price for my mistakes, for my rebellion. Then we are forgiven. And there's no condemnation. There is no wrath of God. You never have to wonder, are these bad things going on that God is allowing in my life because he's punishing me? No, it's not. He'll show you mercy and, and help bring you through them. It's nothing that we've done. God is sovereign in salvation as well. Romans 9.16, so then uh, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. And it here is referring to salvation. So basically, so then salvation depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. I mean, we can't even save ourselves. So the focus here is on God. He is sovereign. We rebel. We place ourselves in the positions of God in our life, but then God provides a way back to him in Jesus because he is gracious. And what is the end result? When we trust in Jesus, we are redeemed. James 4.10 calls us to humble ourselves before the Lord. It says he will exalt you. I love these promises that James has where he's like, Here's what we're called to do, and here's God's promise. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. When we receive Jesus, we're lifted high into a place of being a son or a daughter of the Almighty God. We are made right with God. So what does it look like to humble oneself? We're going to wrap up with this here this morning. James 4, 6b through 8. Let's finish our, our chunk of uh, James here. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. So he's saying God gives grace to the humble, and then, therefore, submit yourselves. So humble yourself and submit to God. Resist the devil, continues on. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So I just want to hit on that humbling ourselves and resisting the devil, and then we'll wrap up. What's it mean to humble ourselves? To humble ourselves means to take ourselves out of the role of God in our own lives. That's my working definition for humble ourselves. To take ourselves out of the position of God. We rebel and try to put ourselves on our own throne in our own lives, but that is not ours. That is God's spot in our life. 
We have to stop, start there. God must come first in our home, in our church, in our workplace, in our schools, in our communities if we're going to get this authority stuff figured out. All other authority is under the authority of the sovereign God, whether we acknowledge it or not. And when we're prideful, we're trying to put ourselves into a place that we don't belong. We're trying to grab authority that doesn't belong to us, that God hasn't granted to us. And so to submit to God is to put your plans, your desires aside in place of God's plan and God's desire. And it's okay to let him know what your heart is. We see even Jesus did this before he goes to the cross. He knows what's coming. And he says, you know, if possible, take this cup from me. But then what's he say after that? Not my will, but yours be done. Here's what I love to see happen. If there's a way to do this that doesn't involve the cross, let's go that road. But not my will, yours be done. So even God the Son submitted himself to God the Father and modeled for us what that looks like to humble oneself. So if humbling ourselves is taking ourselves you know, out of the role that God deserves in our lives, to resist the devil and draw near to God is to reject the one who tries to get us to put ourselves back on the throne. Isn't that what the devil tries to do? Scripture would say he's a father of lies. Scripture teaches that he draws us to a place of temptation. He wants to tempt us to sin, to go against the word of God. And so to resist the devil is to reject the one who tries to put us uh, back on our throne. And so we, we, when you want to re-grab that, that control of your life, say, okay, I'm, I'm on the throne of my own life. I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. I make my own choices. That's given in the temptation because that seed is for God in our lives. 1 John 3.8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. To destroy the works of the devil. So keep Jesus on the throne. He came to destroy the works of the devil. When tempted in the desert, Jesus responds to his lies with, with biblical truth. And so as we see this draw near to God is to respond to the lies of Satan with biblical truth. Because God is sovereign. We've got to begin there. We mess it up because we are rebellious. But fortunately, God is gracious. And when we trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, we are redeemed through him. Let's pray. Father God, you are an amazing God. I just thank you so much for who you are. I thank you that you are sovereign. Yes, there's still questions around that. But I also know we can trust in you because you are a loving, gracious God. We can trust your word that you will draw near to us. And so, Father, let us as a church draw near to you this morning. Let us step down off of the thrones of our lives and say, this spot is for you and, and give it back to you. That we would return to you what is yours. We would return to you what you made. Then help us to walk in that reality, Father. As we go about our lives, Father, to walk in the reality that you are sovereign over all. Let that affect our outlook and our perspective on all things and other areas of authority in our life. Father, we thank you for this time we've had together here this morning. I ask that you would just meet with each one of us here. Speak to us in the quiet of our hearts. If this is the first time uh, we, we've heard the good news of Jesus, that when we trust in him, our sins are forgiven and we are made right with you, Father. I pray that you would do a work in our hearts, you would soften our hearts that we would accept you as Lord and Savior, that you would take out our dead hearts and replace it with a living heart of flesh. Father, and for those of us who know you, 
in our walking with you. Maybe there's areas of our life where we've tried to regain the throne. Help us to submit to you, Father, by humbling ourselves, by saying, you are God, I am not. It's about you, God. It's not about me. The story of Steve Erickson, the story of each of our names put in, the, in that place is not about us, but about you, God. Because you are sovereign. And so we ask that your story would be told through our lives as we submit ourselves to you, as we resist the devil who will flee from us and will draw near to you, Father. And your word promises that you will draw near to us. Praise all in your name. Amen.